Welcome to Design Bubble, your all-inclusive bubble for everything design. My name is Linwa Nguyen, and I'm one of your hosts for today. Joining me is my co-host, Samaya Abdullah. In this episode, we reconnect with one of the first UX designers we met in the industry, Haley Guilfoyle. Haley is a lead UX designer at Maestergy. Years ago, prior to being a full-time UX designer, she was a freelancer and a jack-of-all-trades. Now, outside of her UX designer work, she is a talented painter whose paintings are collected by art enthusiasts around the world. Haley's murals can be found in Dallas, San Francisco, and Austin. We're excited to share her experience navigating the UX world and finding ways to exercise her creativity outside of work with you. Without further ado, let's pop right in. Hi, I'm Haley Guilfoyle, and I'm excited to be here today. Hi, Haley. Welcome. We're so excited to have you here on this episode. To dive right in today, we wanted to start talking about the many hats that you've worn throughout your career, and you've switched it up a lot, and we're really curious how you define yourself as a creative. Do you consider yourself a designer, an artist, a researcher? How do you classify yourself? Yeah, uh, that's a really good question. God, I'm going to have a really annoying answer at first. I promise I'll give you an answer. I think as humans, we try and understand the universe around us by putting definitions and labels on things. But there's a lot of areas of my life where I don't necessarily have an easy time assigning a label or, you know, having a definition for something. I think in my professional career currently as a lead designer at Maesergy, even then I'm wearing many hats. I'm the lead designer there. I am an evangelist since I'm the first designer the company's ever seen, and there's a unique set of challenges that come in with that. So I find myself being the designer, the researcher, the thought leader on the design side of things. And on top of that, I'm also owning the overall product roadmap for the company. So I'm also kind of playing product director in a way as well, which is, you know, a little bit, little bit new. But I think every organization that I've worked at so far, I've had a handful of different hats to wear and different responsibilities. So I think for me, what works best is to not define it and not put a label on it and to just be ready to jump in and take on new challenges as they arise. As uh, outside of my professional career as a user experience lead currently, I paint a lot and I guess I've been told that it's pop art, so I've just leaned into that. But prior to that, I couldn't even really have put a label on it myself. But I do paint, I do digital art, I do interactive work, I do laser engraving. I've done metal work and jewelry making. I like creating wearable art. So again, hard to put a label <laughs> on it, but I think, you know, if I had to summarize, I would say user experience designer and researcher and probably pop artist painter. I love that. I think that really holds true when I think about when someone tries to ask me, you know, it's hard to be put on the spot sometimes of how to define it. It's usually easier to look back and say, you know, at this certain time, this is what I was up to. But when you're kind of in the thick of it, it sounds like you're just living your life. And I think that's about as creative as you can get. So I love that answer. Yeah. And I think a lot of people tend to start to say, oh, I'm a user experience designer. I'm a user experience designer or, you know, any other label you could possibly assign in the universe. But you start to pigeonhole yourself if you let a label define you. And I think especially as a creative 
you get to define the labels and you get to change them up anytime you want. And realistically, if I wanted to quit being a user experience designer tomorrow and go do something else, I wouldn't let that label hold me back. Now I'm not going to, I love what I do, but you know, as an artist, just because I'm a acrylic painter for the most part, doesn't mean I can go and do some, you know, wood burning art or someday I'd like to learn to tattoo people. I can go do that just because I'm a painter doesn't mean I couldn't become a tattoo artist also. And I think that's something that I see a lot of people boxing themselves in and being worried about, oh, will it like confuse people with my personal brand? And no, just do whatever you're going to do. And the people who appreciate what you bring to the table are going to appreciate it regardless of what labels you can slap on it. Don't let anything hold you back if you want to pursue something new, right? Yeah, I really love that idea of not pigeonholing yourself. It's interesting because on LinkedIn, you got to have that like 50 word summary, your resume, everything is always, how can I come up with that snappy definition? But the idea of maybe pursuing what interests you and prioritizing that artistic craft or prioritizing things that you know you're more passionate about is really important. So thanks for touching on that. So when you were kind of explaining a little bit about the artistic side to you, that you're a pop artist and a painter, how does your experience in the creative field, being an artist, um, and I know in the past that you were also working as a freelancer prior to being a UX designer, how does that creative experience help you with being a UX designer? How does that influence your work and vice versa? Does your work in UX influence your work now as an artist? You know, I think as much as I'd love to be able to give you a sexy answer of, oh my God, it influenced my UX work so much because of this. I think the reality is I would compare UX much more to a science than an art. Also, I should put a little asterisk for anyone listening. Most of my work has been enterprise, SaaS, B2B, rather than B2C, more flashy marketing type things where you're looking for conversion rates to increase. Most of my work has been more, you know, giving people a sleek way to accomplish complex tasks that is as efficient as possible, automate away as much of the error prone parts of the process and irritating parts of the process, and just give people a simple way to accomplish complex tasks, especially if they're repetitive. With that in mind, it is more of a science than an art. It's funny, you know, looking at it that way, I'm like, yeah, it really, like, it is two different worlds that every day combines for me. I think there are parts that naturally do help. I think color psychology and color theory and understanding how people comprehend not just colors either, but shapes, round edges on something, make whatever that thing is more approachable and more friendly, and sharp edges on something if it's a triangle, makes it a little bit shifty, a little bit hard to trust. But if it's a square, it's solid and it's trustworthy and it means business. And I know that because I took character animation classes and we were talking about character design and how round faces are usually used for characters that they want you to love and trust immediately. And square faces are used for the, the guy playing hardball, but who comes through and is trustworthy in the end. And triangles you often see used for villains because we're supposed to fear them. So the same kind of principles can apply in UX design. You can use shapes and colors 
to your advantage to help users understand how to do the thing that they're trying to do without even having to think about it. Their brain automatically processes the colors, the shapes, the layout, the way it's supposed to, and they can just move forward and do the thing, right? I think there is something there. I would say my experience as a UX designer, as far as that influencing my art, I guess there might be a political element there that mm. I had not refined until working in corporate America. I think you work with a lot of different personality types and everybody has an agenda and different priorities. And if you want to learn to get things move forward, you have to learn to navigate that. And, you know, I'm I'm not a big game player. I'm pretty much just myself 24 seven for, for better or worse. And so, you know, I have my own style of navigating those politics, but I think that that has helped me with my art as well, especially as I start to do more charity events and live painting events, you're working with a variety of personalities all the same. This is touching back way to the beginning of your answer, but I love how you said that UX does encompass more like science because there is that psychology aspect to it and then it's different from art because a lot of times people when I try to describe it I'm like I do UX and they're like oh so you're like artsy and stuff and I'm like oh not not, not quite um <laughs> so I'm probably gonna have to use that definition now I really like that speaking of like navigating through things this next question there's like this notion about people should switch companies after a year or two of working, but how do you know when you want to change jobs and like kind of what's your process for it? I am curious, when do you know it's like time to leave? Because personally, I would be that type to be like, uh, just stay here until somebody kicks me out. So <laughs> I'd love to get your take on it. Yeah, you know, I do think that I have probably switched it up a little more than majority of people would have. I think that I've had a different reason for leaving each position that I've left. I think for the most part, I don't even so much look at it as leaving a company as I look at it as embracing an opportunity. And I think there's certainly been exceptions to that. I will not name which organization it was, but there is one organization that I did work at in which my manager absolutely was the reason for leaving. And I'm very fortunate to be able to say out of the variety of organizations I have worked for, I've only had the one organization where I left because of a manager, which I think is really fortunate. I've had amazing managers and they've been incredible mentors and have definitely had my back and rooted for my success every turn. There has been one exception. And so, and I do think that that's a pretty common one for a lot of people. My advice on that front would be if your manager is really clearly not rooting for your success and is not going to have your back and not going to empower you to grow within an organization and embrace opportunities as they come. If your manager is not on your team in that way, absolutely, you know, try and get switched out to a different team or leave the organization because you will never reach your potential. If the person who is supposed to have your back more than anyone and look out for you is actively sabotaging you. So, you know, once I kind of figured that out, I was out the door as quickly as I could be. I left Tax Act after just eight months, which was a very short tenure. Normally, I would probably have stuck around a little longer. The challenge with being a Tax Act was when they hired me, it sounded like they wanted me to help build a product. Once I was there, I realized what they were looking to build was a service, not a product. And I am not a service designer. 
I did stick around for eight months to help them get it off the ground. I did everything. I, I picked up the skills really quickly and I did what I had to do to become a service designer. I did play product director for a minute there too, because we had some challenges on the product side of things and we got the product off the ground, but it wasn't the direction I wanted to go in my career. And I probably would have hesitated to accept the offer had I realized that it would be a service design position rather than a product design position. I think it wound up being a really great experience because I learned a lot. It gave me the opportunity also to really take a step back and focus on how to be more of a design leader, how to be more of a leader within my team and really rally my troops and continue our growth as a team, not just my growth as an individual. And so I am thankful that I had that opportunity. As far as my other ones, though, I think really it just came down to me being ready for a new challenge or feeling that there was no more room for me to grow within an organization. The last organization I left, Real Geeks, I would have stayed forever had I been able to. I mean, I loved my team so much and I really did feel empowered and excited about the projects we were working on. I can't say enough good things about the people I had the good fortune of working with there. But, you know, I just kind of, there was no room for me to grow. Maybe one day they will, you know, have a little bit of a larger design team and have a need for a director. But I realized I hit my ceiling there and that I needed to take on a new challenge. I'm not one that sits on my hands. So once I feel I'm no longer being challenged, I'm starting to look for that next thing. And it is definitely a challenge at my current organization. So I got what I wanted in that regard. <laughs> I love that. It's really interesting when you're talking about the idea of being challenged. I think sometimes we kind of stick with where we're comfortable, but it sounds like you're saying when you start feeling too comfortable somewhere, that's when you feel like, okay, now I need to push myself to the next level. I need to make sure I'm growing. Yeah, you know, I'm probably a little bit of a odd duck on that front. I think when people hear how much change I invite into my life sometimes, they're like, what the heck is wrong with you? Um, <laughs> but I've moved 13 times in the last decade. I've switched jobs how many times? I, I think really I actually have come to thrive when it comes to change because it is an opportunity to learn something new, to challenge yourself, to embrace something that you wouldn't have otherwise gotten. And I embrace all sorts of challenging myself, even when it comes to my biggest fears in life. I actively try to defeat my biggest fears as often as I can. I gotta live like you only have one life, and I wanna try and reach my absolute potential as much as I possibly can in the short time I have. As you mentioned in the beginning, you know, you've been a freelancer, you've been a corporate employee, you have your own art business. What are your thoughts on the freedom of self-employment versus the stability of a corporate nine-to-five? So my end goal, I would really like to freelance and probably only take six to nine months worth of contracts throughout the year and just spend more time with my daughter and my partner and paint a lot more. Because <laughs> um, no matter what I'm doing, I promise you I'd rather be painting. <laughs> so I'd love to free that up for myself down the road. But I am a, I have no problem admitting I am a bougie girl with expensive life plans. I like being able to go to any concert I want without thinking twice. I like being able to go try all those new foods at nice restaurants. I like being able to wear what I want to wear and go where I want to go. So being 
bougie as I am with my expensive tastes, the stability of having a nine to five definitely allows me to enjoy all of those things to the fullest for the time being. I think really the way I'm looking at it right now, before I had my daughter, freelancing worked just fine for me. Now that I have her, now that life is that much more expensive, but also that I need that that stability for providing for her and setting my ducks up in a row for what I want later in life, I think for now I'll stick to the nine to five and build that empire up for myself so that I have the freedom later in life to choose what I want to do. You know, I think everything you do in life, there's a risk versus reward and there's a investment and in what you're giving up in order to do that thing. Right now I'm giving up some of that freedom, but frankly, I gain a ton of freedom because I have the means and the stability to then go do all the fun stuff on the side. You know, I think that's a trade-off, but for now it works. Then there are people who live to work and that's fine if that's what works for them. Definitely no shame in that game. But I think if you're not someone whose ultimate everything is their career and their work, taking a step back and thinking, what do I ultimately want out of my life? And what stepping stones do I need to put in place to get to that place? And maybe that's not a nine to five. And there's no shame in that either, because everybody's journey is different. But thinking about it a little longer term and making strategic choices that will help you get to those goals, I would recommend doing that. It has worked for me so far anyway. I really like that. Like for me, it was nine to five or self-employment, but I've never thought of like kind of merging the two and having that contract work for six to nine months. And then the other aspect of it, it's just, oh no, I've never thought about that. But I love how you thought of not only the freedom of like time, financial freedom is an important thing as well to consider to get that stability, to get that time back. So I guess back to like the difference between the two jobs, you've had both types of jobs. You had the self-employment, you had the corporate jobs. So we're curious, how do you stay creative and inspired with work that may not necessarily be in a creative field, like the finance field, insurance, etc.? Because painting is very artistic, very fun. I would love to do that all the time as well, but we got our corporate stuff. So how do you keep that creativity going and not have like a burnout by the end of the day? Are you trying to tell me that cybersecurity and network solutions isn't sexy as hell? Come on now. Oh, you're right, you're right. (laughs) No, you know, I think having the painting stuff that I can come home and do after work and, you know, honestly, I literally every single night, my partner and I end the night the same way. He's on the couch. We watch a lot of TV and movies together. We're working our way through all the Marvel movies since I hadn't seen most of them. So, and we just uh, are super excited about the current season of Barry that we didn't know we were going to get. Obviously we're pumped about that. Actually, my next painting is going to be No Ho Hank for Barry fans. So I'm very excited for that. Um, But I think really like having the balance of creative stuff that I can do outside of work it feeds my soul enough that I don't necessarily feel that same burnout that I maybe would otherwise. The reality though is you still get to be incredibly creative, even if the field itself isn't creative. And I think if you can kind of have that mindset and embrace that it's just a different type of creativity, it's creative problem solving rather than creative brush on a canvas. It may not be as fun and, you know, glamorous as completing a new painting and being so pumped about it, 
but it is creative problem solving and it does feel so rewarding when you can come up with a solution like that where you're like, man, like that's going to be so easy for them to do. There's no way they can screw it up. Our users are going to be familiar with it and they're going to have that functionality. There's something there that if you can embrace it, even if it isn't the most glamorous thing in the world, it still is creative. And you really realize it when you work in an organization where most of the people you're working with are not particularly creative. And you're like, oh, wow, like not anyone could do what I'm doing. Like I really am bringing something unique to the table here. I have value beyond just my uh, obvious good looks, right? I, you know, I'm, I'm bringing some actual business value to the table every day. We hope you enjoyed today's episode about the art of navigating the design world and finding ways to exercise your creativity both at work and outside of work. Join us next time, where we'll be chatting with Snehal Pendarkar, a UX researcher at J.P. Morgan Chase, about her career journey starting out as an international student and what it was like to transition from student to design professional. If you'd like to stay up to date with us, follow us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Design Bubble Podcast. Thanks for popping in.